0: The ultimate destiny, the ultimate fulfillment of the Jewish people being chosen to be a blessing is just like we saw in the first century, for Jewish people to come into that living, dynamic relationship with God through the reconciliation and the forgiveness and the salvation available in our Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, and then to turn that around and proclaim that salvation to all the families on the face of the earth.
1: Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna.
0: And I'm Ezra Benjamin.
1: We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. Today, we're gonna answer a pretty loaded question, which is who is more important, Jews or Gentiles? But before we get started, we wanna let you know about an opportunity to support Jewish communities you may never have heard of living in some of the most remote parts of the world, with immediate physical needs that you can actually help relieve. There's details on our website. You may have heard us talk about this before, but as a thank you for getting involved and helping them, we have specific coffee that we've sourced from Ethiopia, which is one of the countries that we've served for over 20 years that you'll receive as a thank you gift. And if you stay tuned to the end of this podcast, you can enter for a chance to get that coffee for free. So if you're interested in finding out about that, more details on our website, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. So let's get back to the question of who is more important, Jews or Gentiles? Let's discuss. So, Ezra, the first question is You know, Jews are often referred to as the chosen people. Why are the Jews the chosen people? And what does that even mean, the chosen people?
0: Well, before I answer, Carly, I want to get the Christian perspective. So the term, the Jewish people, the chosen people, there's lots of jokes about it, like Eskimos who have a Jewish background, the frozen chosen. I mean, you hear all kinds of things, either well-meaning or derogatory or somewhere on that spectrum. But from your perspective, growing up in, in the Catholic Church as a Christian, what did the idea of chosen people mean to you? Did it mean anything to you? And when it meant something to you, what what connotation did it have?
1: Yeah, actually, before I had worked in Jewish ministry and even became involved in the Messianic Jewish movement, I never really even thought of the Jews as the chosen people or some highlighted people in the Bible. So I'm expressing my naiveness. I'm sure many listening thought of the Jews as the chosen people. This is just my upbringing. I I never thought of them that way. My Bible reading consisted mainly of the New Testament and the importance of Jesus to me personally, but I didn't always understand the historical context. But I know that often even those who do see the Jewish people as the chosen people, Christians who care about Israel and support Israel and the Jewish people, sometimes there's this feeling of less than. I actually have a friend who I was talking to her about this podcast and she said to me, you know, every time I listen, I just I, 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 I want I want to be Jewish. I want to be one of those chosen people. So sometimes there is this feeling of like, as a Christian, you know, maybe I'm less than because I'm not one of God's chosen people. And I think that's why we're trying to tackle this topic today is why are the Jews the chosen people and, and what does this really mean?
0: Sure. And I think, like you said, there there's two camps really, I think, in the Christian world, or maybe there's three. And we'll talk about the third one, which is perhaps a healthier perspective, Actually, there's four and I've had a lot of coffee. So let's just go with four. And I'll I'll talk about the three that I think are maybe misinformed or unhealthy. And then hopefully we'll spend the balance of our time exploring a fourth perspective, a healthy perspective that a Christian can have in terms of thinking about the Jewish people's identity in God or this idea of chosenness. So on the one hand, right, perspective one is chosen schmozen, the Old Testament is just a roadmap for me to understand why God's kind of done with the Jewish people and why he's chosen the church. We talk about that in other podcast episodes, Carly, but the idea there of the Old Testament being somewhat irrelevant and God's promises to Israel canceled because of Israel's unfaithfulness and disobedience if Israel had to had to mess up only so many times before God threw her away, how many times do I, as a Christian, have to mess up before God throws me away? And so the argument breaks down pretty quickly on the idea of God kind of being having had it with the Jewish people. So the idea of chosenness being irrelevant or meaningless, I think we can put aside. And again, if you want more on that, on that topic of what is God's enduring promise to the Jewish people and why does that matter, check out other our other episodes. We we unpack that in much in much greater detail. But the second camp is like you said, this idea of if the Jews have something, then somehow I as a Christian have something less, right? This comparative thing where the the church, the Christian community can kind of stand at arm's length, arms crossed and say, well, the Jews are chosen. Does that make them better than the rest of us? I don't see that in the scriptures. Do they think they're so great? Is this a pride thing? Is it a superiority thing? Not so much. The, the third camp, and this is really, if you ask my grandma, who's approaching 100 years old and is still alive in the nursing home, watching you know 10 hours a day of TV and reading autobiographies the rest of the time. And enjoying her lox and bagel in upstate new york if you say to grandma what does it mean to be chosen what does it mean that we're the chosen people the jewish people are the chosen people she'll roll her eyes most likely and she'll say we were chosen to suffer so this idea of god singled us out and she she actually has said that to me and i sort of smile and then take a bite of my lox and bagel and change the subject but understand that in at least the north american jewish community or maybe carly a lot of 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 the larger worldwide jewish community if you believe that god has singled us out as a people and has kind of put a put a a mark on us as unique and distinct from the other peoples on the face of the earth the the wrong thinking in that regard because of the history of our people and i'm sorry to say because of the history of persecution and disparaging remarks against the Jewish people largely in history through the mouths of people who who name themselves as Christians there's this identity this unhealthy false identity that we can take on as a chosen people almost like this this thing around our neck of well god singled us out to punish us to make us you know downtrodden throughout history as my grandmother says to suffer and so this kind of very cynical but not unhistorically substantiated idea of the Jewish people weren't chosen for blessing, but chosen for cursing. But if that's true, then how can a good God single out a people perpetually throughout history to bear his name and to carry his identity and to carry a history in him as only chosen to suffer rather than chosen to be blessed? And so the fourth perspective then is this idea of the Jewish people chosen and unique unto blessing, but not blessing to lord it over others and not blessing because we're some higher echelon of humanity or because we're the best. You know, God says in the first five books of the the Bible to Moses, I didn't choose you because you're the, the best of all people or the strongest or the most numerous. He says, you're the weakest, you're the least of all peoples. And if that's not enough, Israel, you're the most stubborn and hard hearted and stiff necked of all the peoples in the face of the earth. But I've chosen you because I love you. And so, Carly, the rest of this podcast, I know we have some other questions to get through. It is a loaded subject, but let me say from the beginning before people think they know what I'm going to say and turn off the rest of the episode, are the Jewish people chosen? Yes, we're chosen, but it's not to lord it over anyone and not because somehow in history we were better or stronger or more numerous than anyone else. And it's not because we have some better destiny in the future than anyone else we were chosen for some very specific reasons. And I think that the three that I can mention today, just because it's three W's, and I thought that was clever. There's probably a hundred things I could say, but let me put it into three W's. It's word, witness, and world. So the Jewish people were chosen. Paul's very clear in Romans 9, 10, 11, actually at the beginning of Romans chapter three, right? He says he's talking to a predominantly Gentile audience, namely the Roman church. And he starts. Romans chapter 3, so what advantage does the Jew have? What advantage does a Jewish person have? In essence, Paul's saying, let's take the gloves off and let's get right into it. The question you may be asking is there's this portion of Jewish believers representing at this point in the end of the, towards the, the second half of the first century the minority of believers as massive numbers of gentiles non-jewish people are coming to faith throughout the mediterranean throughout the known world praise god this is an awesome thing the gospel is spreading like wildfire but then this now predominantly in greater and greater measure gentile or non-jewish body of believers ecclesia we can say which is a fancy word for body of believers or church is turning and looking back at the jewish people and at this subset of jewish people who believe in Jesus, who have faith that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, which I do as well, and which, you know, so many in the Messianic, well, really all in the Messianic Jewish community have. And they're saying, wait a minute, what's this whole Jewish identity thing anyway? And what does that have to do with us as non-Jewish people? What's the deal? And so Paul says, what advantage does, does the Jew have anyway? And it says, namely, that unto the Jews were committed the oracles of God. That's kind of fancy King James language. But the idea there is, first of all, what advantage does a Jewish person have? God committed his word to Israel, that Israel was chosen. You know, you can think of the images either in movies we've seen or, you know, in illustrations we saw as kids of Moses carrying these Ten Commandments down Sinai, right? And and the idea here is God gave his word. How do we know who he is? How do we know his character? Well, beyond the character, which is sort of universally seen in the heavens, he says, I'm gonna tell you who I am and I'm gonna tell you about my holiness. And I'm gonna tell you about how you as a holy people are to relate to me and my holiness in a way that preserves your life and doesn't get you struck dead because of your unholiness in my presence. Okay, And he says, I'm going to give you my word, my Torah, my commandments to help you understand my holiness, your state of being as sinful people, sons and daughters of Adam, and how you relate to me uh, and how you actually get to approach me because my desire is to be with you, to commune with you, for you to be in my presence, but you can't be in an unholy state. And so the Jewish people throughout history are what a lot of people call the people of the book. And what that means is that the word of God was given to and through and passed down and literally written, because remember, there weren't printing presses till what, 500, 600 years ago. So literally scribes in the Jewish community had to take a copy of the word of God and write it exactly as it was passed down to them on another parchment so that it could be passed down from generation to generation and disseminated. So the Jewish people were chosen to carry the word and the words of God. And then the second idea, witness. God says to Isaiah and through Isaiah, gather all the nations of the world together, who, who has a testimony? Who can, it's kind of like, can I get a witness, right? Who, who as a people, what nation on earth as an entire people group, as an entire ethnicity and community has a witness and a shared testimony of my mercy, of my judgment, of my holiness, of my righteousness, and of my ability to deliver, even from slavery in Egypt? And he says, there's not one except you, Israel. You're my witness, You're the ones who carry this eyewitness account in your own history and your very being and your survival as a people that I am who I say I am and that I'm the promise keeping God who's capable of doing everything I say I'm going to do because it depends on me and my faithfulness, not on you and your unfaithfulness because you broke the covenant I gave to you. Uh, And so the idea of our, our people, the Jewish people, being a witness. Carrying the word of God, but being a witness, an enduring witness. How do we know God's alive? How do we know that God's a covenant-keeping, faithful God? Because the Jewish people live. As we say in Hebrew, am Israel chai, the people of Israel live. And so the idea then of not just being a witness unto our own children for our own sake, but also being a witness to all the other nations of the earth. We understand from the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that the desire of God, Carly, isn't just that Israel knows him. It's that all peoples on the face of the earth come into a relationship with the living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is the God of all the nations and the ethnos on the face of the earth. And so the Jewish people are supposed to be a living witness of, of who God is and his power to save and deliver. And then the third idea, the third W there is world. We were chosen. We see it in Genesis chapter 12, right? God calls Abraham from the nations, actually from Iraq and Iran area, where he was living at that time and says, go to a nation, I'll show you. And on the way, Abraham, having not yet received the promise of a son who would be his heir is trying to understand, okay, God, you chose me, but what did you choose me for? And God says, I'll bless you right? I'll bless you, meaning we see I'll bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll bless the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But not only will I bless you, I'm going to make you and your descendants to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. In you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the idea of world, the Jewish people were chosen not only to receive blessing from God, but to turn that around and to be a blessing in God, in his name and by his power, to all the families on the face of the earth. And we understand that the ultimate blessing you can give someone is the good news of our savior, Jesus, Yeshua. And so the ultimate destiny for Israel, I believe, and we believe on this podcast, Very unapologetically, the ultimate destiny, the ultimate fulfillment of the Jewish people being chosen to be a blessing is just like we saw in the first century, for Jewish people to come into that living dynamic relationship with God through the reconciliation and the forgiveness and the salvation available in our Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, and then to turn that around and proclaim that salvation to all the families on the face of the earth. That's the ultimate, the meaning of our chosenness, carrying the word of God, being a witness of his reality and the saving power and bringing that blessing to the entire world.
1: So I'm going to kind of play uh, devil's advocate here because you just explained, you know, this is the purpose of the Jews. This is why they're the chosen people. One of the things you said was God chose them because he loves them. And some in our Christian audience might be saying, well, what does that mean? That God only loves the Jews? What about what about the Christians?
0: I, I want to challenge this idea that if the Jewish people have something, somehow everyone else has something less. Because in the economy of God, God can give to everyone in His providence, in His mercy, in His extravagant love, which is beyond searching out. Right. So we know from John three sixteen all you good Sunday school kids listening from a Christian background know for God so loved who Israel? No, it says for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not die, should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? This is the love of God manifested that he sent his son. But who did Jesus, his son, come through? Jesus is a Jew, the son of Jewish parents, right? Mary and Joseph, Miriam and Yosef, right? Of course, Born by the involvement of the Holy Spirit through Miriam, but in the natural, Mary and Joseph, men and women in Israel, and the the Jewish people actually from Genesis three onward are are called to actually bring forth the Messiah, who would be the Savior of the world. And Isaiah is very clear; it says it's too small a thing, and he's actually taught god this is isaiah kind of listening in on a conversation in the godhead if you will a conversation in heaven where god says it's too small a thing speaking to the messiah who is yet not incarnate at that point hasn't come to earth yet in the flesh it's too small a thing for you the messiah to be my servant just to redeem israel and jacob i'll also make you a light to the nation so that you should bring my salvation and by the way, Yeshua, Jesus' Hebrew name, his given name means salvation. So you should bring my Yeshua to the ends of the earth. And so the heart and the plan of God was always to redeem the enti- anyone who would call upon his name from any ethnos on the face of the earth for himself. But he's in the first place, way back in the Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus shows up on the scene through the Jewish people, he's calling out the Jewish people in love and saying, I've chosen you. I'm going to protect you because I'm going to manifest my mercy and love and salvation and deliverance through you and through you and through your seed. I'm going to bring forth the Messiah. So it's not an either or, it's a both and, or it's a first Israel and everyone else. Not because Israel's better, not because we got something more, but because that's the way in which God chose to work. But his love is for all men.
1: Okay. So, you know, we've, we've said that the Jews are the chosen people. You've explained why. And now also that it's not that God just loves the Jews, but also that he loves everyone. But my next question is, how would you respond to the verses in the Bible, such as Galatians 3.28 or Colossians 3.11 that says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's, that's Galatians 3.28. And then Colossians 3.11 has very similar wording here. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, etc. But Christ is all and is in
0: all and our audience may be familiar with those verses, you may not. And Carly, I think what we have to be careful, you know, so often when, when I went to some Bible classes back in the day, they said, text without context is just pretext. Okay, so I want to be careful here. And I think wh- what we can be in danger of doing on any issue is to take one verse, one or two verses, and develop an entire theology based on our own interpretation of those verses without a context. So, to respond to your question, there are verses, right? There's a segment of a verse in Galatians chapter three, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia that says, and here I'm actually going to read it. Verse 28 starts out, there is neither Jew nor Greek, right? And so we quote that. And I'm actually thinking of somebody very close to me who has a Jewish background. One parent is Jewish, one is not sort of confused identity uh, growing up, kind of one foot in the Jewish world, one foot in the Christian world. And this guy went to seminary in the mid 2000s. And after he graduated, great seminary, I'm not going to say the name, really, you know, world renowned seminary, awesome professors, everybody loves Jesus. And he graduates with his MDiv. And so we're talking about his own Jewish identity, maybe a year after he graduates. And he says to me, doesn't matter. And I was like, well, what do you mean? It doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you're one of your parents is Jewish. Like you grew up at least identifying in part as a Jewish person. And he said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Galatians 3.28. And that was uh, at that moment, Carly, that's as far as we could go, because that's what he had heard. And that's what he had been taught. And his professors had said, this is the basis by which we can discount any unique calling or destiny or identity of the Jewish people. Like, that was it, this snippet of a verse. But just, you know, I'm going to give the rest of that verse, and then we'll look at the verses around it while we're exploring this to answer your question, right? Galatians 3.28, the entire verse says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in, it says, one in Christ Jesus, or one in the Messiah Jesus, the Messiah Yeshua, Okay, so we can say, all right, right. There's no Greek nor Jew. Okay, there's absolutely no difference. But again, more more recent social commentary aside, feel however you feel about what I'm about to say. There is a very clear difference in function and in 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 part ability between male and female. And they're also listed in this verse, right? Try as I want, as a male, I cannot give birth to a child. Why? Because God created them unique, both in His image male and female with unique identities and unique abilities right? Men cannot bring forth children because there's a unique identity and destiny and unique purpose. It's not the entirety of somebody's identity or value, but there's a unique purpose inherent within somebody being a female that men don't have as an example. So we need to be careful not just to say, well, there's neither Jew nor Greek. The Jews have no unique identity. Okay. Well, what about male and female? Somebody's having kids and somebody's not as one example of maybe 50 that I could give. And then, you know, it also says there's neither slave nor free. Now, again, this is a very hot topic, but in the context there, in other letters that Paul writes, he says, look, if you were a slave, and the context there historically was, if you were a bond servant belonging to somebody for life, this position of servitude at the time when you became a believer, stay there. And if you weren't, stay there, because the slave is God's free man, and the, and the free man is God's bond servant. And so my point here, not to go too far down any of these roads of gender roles or what did servitude look like in the ancient world, not the point here. The point here is even in the other examples God in the other examples Paul's giving here, there were unique purposes, there were unique destinies, there were unique abilities inherent in, the, in in the distinctions he's making. But the context of this passage is, again, that the church in Galatia is saying, well, we're not sure how we feel about the Jewish believers in Jesus or the Jewish community in general. And frankly, we're not too thrilled that they even exist and that they're carrying this identity. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you got to understand in the context of righteousness in the eyes of God and in the context of a need for forgiveness and salvation through the blood of Jesus and in the context of our right standing as sons and daughters as brought into that family of faith, the family of Abraham through faith in Jesus, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. But the other examples here show us by their very nature that there can be a unique purpose. There can be a unique ability. There can be a unique function. And so I think we need to be careful not to take a snippet of a verse without the context and say, ah, absolutely no difference, no difference in purpose, no difference in destiny, no difference in function. And then also in Colossians 3, it's the same situation, right? We take the snippet of the verse. Colossians 3, verse 11, part A, if you want, says, here there's neither Greek nor Jew. But the, the larger verse, here there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But the verse ends, the Messiah, the Christ, is all and is in all. What's Paul challenging here? He's challenging people beginning to stratify or say somebody has a more righteous standing in God. Maybe the Gentiles were looking at the Jewish believers saying, well, you're just caught up in trying to fulfill the words of the Torah and you have a religious spirit. Or maybe the Jewish believers in the city where Paul's writing this letter to this believing community are looking and saying, well, you're not from Israel, so somehow you're less than. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't get it. Nobody's better than or less than And we need to look at ourselves as in need of a savior, because in that sense, sinful standing apart from Jesus, righteous standing in the eyes of God with Jesus. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile, but he's not throwing out unique ethnic identity, unique historical purpose, unique destiny and unique calling.
1: So in Colossians 3.11, you keep talking about the context. If you actually look at the next Sentence. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So, right there, when he's saying, As God's chosen people, is he talking about only Jews or is he talking about everyone who was chosen in Christ?
0: No, I think it's the same idea we were talking about a couple minutes ago, Carly, this idea of God first loving Israel in order to manifest his love to all the earth, right? And this olive tree image in Romans 9, 10, and 11, specifically Romans 11, that Paul talks about, the root of this olive tree is Israel. The root of this olive tree is the faith of Abraham. And it says, You Gentiles who didn't belong to this tree are grafted in because God's able to do that. But don't forget, God's able to graft back in the branches that through uh, lack of faith and through disobedience were cut off for a season. And so the idea there is is just like love is manifest to Israel, but also unto all the nations, the face of the earth, there's a chosenness, right? I believe, I mean, feel however you want about it, that God, right? If God knit us together in our mother's wombs and he chose us in him, For salvation before the creation of the world then there's a chosenness for the people of Israel but there's also an invitation for anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord to embrace that having been chosen by him for life for forgiveness for salvation so again if the Jewish people have something it doesn't mean the Gentiles have something less because in the economy of God God can give first to a people and to all who will receive it in faith
1: so that chosen right there is for everyone yes So earlier you talked about, you know, the Jews have these three specific purposes, word, witness, world. What is the Gentile role? Do you see the Gentiles having a specific purpose or a role that can be described just like you described the role that the Jews have?
0: Right, it's a it's a really good question, Carly, and I I get it in the sense of somebody not from a Jewish background listening to this. Well, so the Jewish people get to get to carry the word, they get to be a witness to God's glory, his deliverance, his rescue from difficult situations throughout history. There's a chosenness, and Paul says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So there's this enduring chosenness because of the faithfulness of God for the Jewish people. And a person not from a Jewish background, a Gentile is going to say, "So what about me? Am I just sort of like collateral? Am I an accessory to the plan of history for God to show his love to Israel? Am I like persona non grata? Am I a second class citizen in the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. And there's really two answers to your question, which, you know, this is in part a Jewish podcast. So there's always at least two opinions and two answers. So anyway, I digress. But in terms of what role do Gentiles have, what role do they have in terms of, of, in, in the mind and the heart of God? And then what role do Gentiles have in relation to the Jewish people? Well, John 4 is a great passage. You all know this passage about the, Jesus approaching the Samaritan woman at the well. So the Samaritans had this sort of mixed bag of quasi-Jewish heritage, but it wasn't Jewish enough to be welcomed into the mainstream Jewish community in Israel. And because of that, there was animosity between the two groups. And so Jesus approaches clearly as a rabbi saying give me a drink of this water and the woman in essence says why would you want it from me and the context is why would you a Jew, want something from me who's not jewish enough to be considered part of your people fast forwarding a few verses jesus says that the time is coming or the hour is coming and indeed has now come meaning because i'm on the scene the hour is here when the father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth The father is seeking such as these. So what role do Gentiles have? The Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's also the God of all flesh, who knit all of us together in our mother's wombs, is looking for worshipers who will worship him Not only in Jerusalem, though he's looking for Israel to worship him in Jerusalem and he will rule and reign on a throne when Jesus comes back from Jerusalem one day. We see that in the scriptures. But not only that, he's looking for worshipers from every ethnos, wherever they are in the world. Jewish or Gentile alike, who are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's his desire. So the role that Gentiles have is to come into a relationship with God through Jesus so they can worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what the Samaritan woman at the well is invited into. And that's what every one of us, regardless of our ethnicity or heritage or race or national origin or the passport we carry or don't carry, or our pedigree or lack thereof, are invited into, is to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. And so that's an invitation for Gentiles as well as for Jewish people. And then the second part of the answer is what role do Gentiles have in relation to the Jewish people? Paul makes it very clear that salvation has come to the Gentiles, one, because God so loved the world, but there's a second purpose happening here, right? He says to provoke Israel to jealousy, because remember God first manifest his love to the people of Israel. God first gave his word and his promises to the people of Israel. God first sent Jesus, it says, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, not exclusively, but as a matter of priority and first importance on his heart in the ministry of Jesus on earth. And so as Gentiles, as people not from a Jewish background come to faith in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, in the providence and plan of God, This is supposed to poke something in the Jewish community because the message is that the the people not from a Jewish background have come into the blessings and the faith and the faith and the Messiahship of the Jewish Messiah. In essence, God's saying, Israel, this was first for you. You rejected it in large part, so I'm giving it to everybody else. But if you want it, come and get it because it's still for you in my mercy and covenant faithfulness. And so the role of Gentiles isn't separate from Israel, but it's this This inextricable connectedness with the people of Israel, carrying the faith of Israel through the Messiah of Israel to provoke the people of Israel to jealousy. And, you know, Romans 1.16 that we talk about so much, Carly, on this podcast about the gospel being the power of God to salvation for all who believe first to the Jew, it says, and also to the Gentile, to the not person not from a Jewish background. And Christians can bristle at that idea. Well, first for the Jew, what makes the Jews so special? But in Romans 2, Paul makes it clear that judgment when Jesus returns is coming first to the Jews. Why? Back to the first idea, because we were chosen and singled out to carry his word to know who he is through his promises and commandments, to carry a witness and a testimony of his faithfulness, And because we were called to be a blessing to all the families of the earth and the Jewish people in a day yet to come are going to be held accountable to that first. All of us are accountable to a holy God when Jesus returns. But Paul says, he makes it clear that judgment is coming first to Israel. And so if judgment from a holy God is coming first to Israel, then it's important for the Gentile church to understand that, of course, God would reach out, extend his mercy and his offer of salvation through Jesus to Israel first as well. And that's the role of the Gentiles is saying, hey, we're so. So thankful God has extended his salvation through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, to us who are unnatural branches in that olive tree. And we're going to carry the heart and the priority of God in seeing natural branches grafted back in.
1: So you've explained both the role of the Jewish people, how God sees them as the chosen people, the role of the Gentiles. What's the answer to the main topic of this question, which it, or this podcast, which is who is more important, Jews or Gentiles?
0: every single human being. This is not a cop-out answer. This is, I really believe in the scriptures. Every single human being is uniquely made, fashioned in their mother's womb, and God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation and forgiveness through faith in Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. There's no difference. No Jewish person is more important than any Gentile person to God, and no non-Jewish person is more important to God than any Jewish person. God desperately loves all of us, and he so loved us that he sent the Jewish Messiah Messiah to die not only for the sins and forgiveness of Israel, but also for the cleansing and redemption of all who would call upon his name. So the answer is unique identities, unique calling and purpose, which are irrevocable, distinct chosenness for Israel, but unto the blessing and proclamation of the good news of the Messiah Jesus to all the families of the earth. So every one of us, you know, heaven's not complete until everyone God wants there is there, Jew and Gentile alike.
1: Yeah, and I would just encourage our audience to think about, you know, what you just said, Ezra, which is that everyone has a unique identity and a place that God placed them in in the world, their heritage, the people they're around, the country they're born in, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, all of your circumstances are so different and so unique to where God wanted you to be. So I wouldn't focus so much on I'm not a Jew or I am a Jew instead on where God has placed me in the unique place that he's called me and that he sent his son for each of us, no matter where we are, and that he has a unique identity for each of us. Amen. All right, so to our audience, I hope that answered the question. If not, feel free to email us and we'll clarify any questions you have in the future. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, you can enter for a chance to win some of our Lost Tribes coffee, which comes directly from Ethiopia. We're giving away a free bag each month, so you can enter by texting JG to 474747. More information about that on our website, a Jew and a Gentile if you wanna hear more episodes of this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We love when you leave us reviews. I was just reading some of them on Apple this week. Please share this podcast with someone you know. You can also follow us on social media at the handle a Jew and a Gentile Discuss. If there's anything you want us to discuss or answer, please submit your questions. We read all of them and talk about them on future question and answer podcasts. You can submit those at a Jew and a Gentile Thanks again for listening this week and join us next week for another episode. The show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.